M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for August 29th, 2009. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week, Fiona Dunn talks to us about Tweet S60, a Twitter application for Symbian phones. Then we continue with part two of our GW Micro scripting training class. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. Hello, my name's Fiona Dunn, and I'm going to talk to you about Tweet S60, which is an excellent application for Series 60 Symbian phones um, to access Twitter. Um, and I'm sure Twitter's been covered in other places, so I'm not going to explain what it is. Um, I have been in the middle of reading some stuff on Twitter, so I'll just go from where I was. Now, um, be warned, some of this could be quite random, because um, I don't know what's coming up next, what people have different people have tweeted but I just want to show you what I can do with this application which is free that's the very good news of the day so the phone I'm using to demo this on today is a Nokia E75 so I'll just open the slider and I've got it set so it makes a noise when I do that O2 UK text 666 oh. numbers 6 O2 UK, Sun 26 Anyway, never mind. Um, it was talking at the same time, so I think that crashed. Now, this speech is quite slow, but um, I wanted to make sure that everybody would be able to understand it. So I'll go back Talks. to Tweet Menu. S60. Menu. Open applications, colon, Tweet 60, one of six. In case anybody wants to know, this is Talks version 4 with the Serena vocalizer voice. Select Tweet 60, home tab sheet 1 of 5, tilde 10 hours ago, Rix to the Jeep Knight or 104 of 492. Yes, yeah, you can't say geek, it's jeek apparently, but never mind. Um, so I'll just go up in the list. Tilda nine hours ago, Brian Halfjohn latest quitter does not solve problem of insert tap or insert up arrow line reading, but Caroline's solution of control five is good, 103 of 492. That um, maybe refers to some other conversations that of people that I'm not following, I'm not sure. But anyway, if we carry on up the list, there'll be another one, and it'll tell us what who it's from, what it says, and how long ago it was. And then I'll show you some other things we can do. This is the home part, so you see everyone who you're following. Tilda nine hours ago, Dean one zero 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 zero. First silly quote of Jamie. I know myself too well. One hundred and two of four hundred and ninety-two. Okay, so there we go. I've shown you three tweets. Um, now, say, what if I want to know things that were more aimed at me? If I press right arrow here. At Fidden Tab Sheet 2 of 5, 15, colon, 0125 slash 07, chiming underscore magic at Fidden, colon, no I don't use it, not sure what it is, 1 of 11. Um, so that said, at Fidden, it's actually Fee Done, but I didn't uh, put capitals in when I signed up with that username. Um, so anyone who's on Twitter, you can follow me. Um, I will have to approve you though. So if anyone puts at and then fee done after that, these 
things are for my attention. And there's only 11, you see, instead of however many hundred it was. If I write Arrow again, uh, it's the direct messages, and I think I can safely do this, because I think the last one I had was just a thank you for following me one. Direct message tab sheet 3 of 5, 07, colon, 0924 slash 07 Joy Sanders, hello and thank you for the follow. Please help support and join the disability community at, colon, http, colon, slash slash ablecom, 1 of 10. Okay, so that's um, a direct message. Um, that's all the direct messages that get sent to me. Unlike the app messages, these ones are ones that only I can see. Um, so... If you're familiar with Facebook and not Twitter, it's a bit like sending a um, a Facebook message rather than writing on someone's wall, I suppose. Favourites tab sheet 4 of 5, 13, colon, 3403 slash 05 at Hodgson. I have just been informed that I am on garage cleaning duties in half an hour, exclamation mark, 1 of 1. Not quite sure why that's a favourite, but anyway. Um, so that's the fourth tab sheet, and right arrow once more. Updates tab sheet 5 of 5, 23, colon, 0516 slash 07 Fidden at Boris in A box. Okay, well, I have cited help, so should be possible. If it works, I'll be so oh, grateful and never press shift with delete again, exclamation mark, 5 of 12. Um, yeah, these are updates that I've put on there. Um, that one was... Uh, <laughs> about me trying to recover a file I accidentally deleted. Um, but there are more that I've done more recently. 12. And the other thing to say is you don't have to have written the updates on this phone um, for them to appear here in this line. Um, It'll just get them off Twitter, which is nice. Now, I'm just going down to the bottom because I'll go down to the 12th one and hopefully it should start showing us some more updates and expanding it more. 17, colon, 3208 slash 07 Fidden at blind twit when he releases beach one would it make a splash? Question mark, 12 of 22. See, now it says 12 of 22. So I'll go down some more and there'll be more. 17, colon, 2708 slash 07 blind twit is that good or bad? Question mark. Those phones seem to come out later. 13 of 22. So I think we've got the idea then. Those are those five um, tab sheets we can choose between. So if you want to go back home, just press left, 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 left. Favourites tab sheet, direct message tab sheet 3 of 5, 07, colon, Home tab sheet one of five tilde nine hours ago D one zero 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 zero. And it's remembered. Um, I know myself too well. One hundred and three of four hundred and ninety-three. It's remembered where we were up to, which is nice. So it hasn't gone all the way back to the beginning of the list, which incidentally would be the most recent tweets. Okay, what else can you do? Well, if we press options. Options new two of eight. New. That's where you can do a new tweet. Tweet submenu three of eight. Tweet, um, in the sub-menu we've got... Reply, one of three. Reply, so it would put at and then the other person's username at the beginning and a space, and then you would then could write your reply after that. Retweet, two of three. Retweet is when you... It's like forwarding an email. It's when you forward the um, tweet that you've had, but you might want to add something to it as well. Um... 
I did that earlier. I commented on someone else's tweet. Direct message. Three three. And direct message is where you can send a direct message to the person whose tweet you've just read, um, and it will put D space and then the uh, username and then a space and then you can write the message and only that person will be able to read that message. So I'm not going to do any of those but we'll come out. Following, following, follow one of two, remove two of two. Follow and remove we've got there um, in that sub menu and we've got refresh if it's well you might have it set to manual I've got it set so that it'll update tweets every five minutes you can set that in the settings but you can, might have it on manual if you've not got much data in your data plan or you haven't got Wi-Fi or something on your phone because it works on all loads of different series 60 phones um, so that's what refresh is for to get the new the latest tweets settings six settings which is basically you type in your username your password how often you want to um, check for tweets and I think there's something else what's Select. the other thing tweet 60 username hidden one of four password star 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 access point four defined oh four. you can define different access points and as you heard there it said four defined so it's good because it can change between different access points so I might use my Wi-Fi when I'm at home but my um, cellular network provider when I'm out so that's settings back home tax sheet one of five tilde nine tilde ten hours ago Brian Hartman oh. latest quitter does not what, solve options right menu again tweet submit following refresh fun settings about seven of eight oh, about which will tell you the version and exit eight of eight exit oh there's no help which well it probably it doesn't really matter on the e75 anyway because that wouldn't tell you the uh, i wouldn't read the help anyway because that's a bit of a problem we've got with uh, with both talks and mobile speak you can't seem to read help uh, texts on, on these later phones at the moment or email on some of them for that matter anyway Apologies for that um, mobile phone noise there. Um, Tweet, submit, following, submit, refresh, five of eight, settings, six, cancel. Tweet 60, home tab sheet one of five, tilde ten hours ago, Brian Hartgen, latest quitter does not solve problem of insert tab or insert up arrow line reading, but Caroline's solution of control five is good, 104, tilde nine hours ago, read a few more of these, see if there's something I can reply. I know myself too well, 100. Tilda eight hours ago, Boris in a box, Boris blog, colon, things and stuff for July 25th, comma, 2009, HTTP, colon, slash, slash, bit, lie, slash, W of PQ, 98 of 495. Right. Um, if you're observant, you'll realise that uh, I've edited a few out while I read some uh, tweets, because they weren't that interesting. Um, if I open this, because this one's got a URL in it. Select Boris in a box. Boris blog, colon, things and stuff for July 25th, blog, and 2009 HTTP, colon, if I see what the keys talks, are, one, okay, Boris blog, colon, things and stuff for, now it just says okay, I down arrowed, and now let's see what talks, keys one and two are, one, view, and now it says one view, so that should take me to the website, view, connecting zero percent,
Now this I is... I am Patrick Perdue, exclamation mark. I am bad for you, exclamation mark. Things and stuff for July 25th, comma, 2009. Now this is, um... Interesting, because... Um... The previous version didn't actually let you click on web links, which was quite irritating. And now you can. So, um... Which is excellent. What more can I do? Because uh, I don't think you really want to listen to me reading a web page. If I go back to Twitter page has 60, five menu. Open menu. it started to say page has five headings there. That shows you that it opened the page. Tweet 60 to accept, select Boris in a box. Boris blog. Now, if I press OK on that okay. to get rid of that. Tweet 60, home tab sheet one of five, tilde eight hours ago, Boris in a box, options, new, two of eight. New. I'll do new and I'll type a quick tweet just to prove it works. Select. Tweet 60. Arty at or Morris at Scott at so. When will you be going to feel one? Okay. Question mark. IFN state equals EFN key next. The only... That's a bit of a problem. Uh, the IFN key thing. Ignore that. It's a peculiarity of the Nokia E75. Um, another strange thing that this does is it always reads your previous tweet that you've done whenever you um, go to do a new one, which is a bit of a pain. I wish it wouldn't do that, but maybe this can be ironed out in future. Anyway, I'm just going to write tweeting. Caps tweeting. While. While. Recording. Recording. A, a podcast. Podcast. About. About. Edit. Tweeter 60. IFN key state equals EFN key state IFN key state IFN key state IFN key state equals EFN key none. Now that IFN key thing lets you change the QWERTY row into number buttons, you see, that's why it kept going on about IFN. Caps tweet sixty. Oh space. Full stop. Caps tweet sixty dot. Okay. Now I'll send that. So Talks. One options. Two send. Right, what have we got in options? options. Add URL, oh, add URL. Cancel, three of Cancel. five. About, four of five. Exit, five of About five. About an exit, so I'm going to get rid of that Cancel. with key two. Okay, so key one is options. Talks. One, options, two, send. And key two is send, so that's why cancel is within the options list. Because otherwise you... If you change your mind and you don't want to do a tweet, you'd be like, uh, I can't get out of this. So I'll press send because it'll show you what happens. Send text tweet posting dot 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 zero percent home tab sheet one of five tilde eight hours ago Boris in inbox Boris blog colon things and stuff for July twenty fifth comma two thousand and nine http colon slash slash bitly slash w of pq one hundred and two of four hundred and ninety nine. So there we go, and that's gone. And if we went all the way to the beginning of my list to one of however many hundred it was, you would actually hear that was in the list as well. So that is Tweeter60. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Fidun, F-I-D-U-N-N. -N. Hope you enjoyed that. Goodbye. Um, so again, on the interacting with scripts, I just wanted to quickly go over again the scripts that we specifically install within Windowize, and uh, I'm going to go back to my manage uh, script manager dialog. Yeah.
And we talked, about, we talked about the toolkit up there real quickly, and that's basically a standard shared objects that any script can use regardless of the language that that script is written in. I could have a script written in C++ using the toolkit, which is VBScript, by the way. Or I could have JScript, I could have C Sharp, I can have VB.net, I can have whatever, still using that shared objects that were there. Um, and eventually we'll get into talking about shared objects. You can make your object shared, regardless of the language you wrote it in. Another language, regardless of its language, can use that shared object as well. What's the common ground interface? Do they talk to com? Or? It's all com automation, yes. Okay. So I, we'll get into that part in just a little bit. I know I keep teasing you a little bit on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep you on the edge of your chair. That's my point. Um, so the other scripts that we install automatically, GW Toolkit being one, Progress indicator is one that, um, if I go down to progress indicator, progress indicator this one is responsible for reading the progress bars. So when you come up, a dialogue is the active dialogue and it has a progress bar on it, it's progress indicator that's going to indicate how you want to read that. And just to show you the power of scripting, I'm going to select a progress indicator in my list. I'm going to hit Alt H for help and options. H, progress bars, percentage interval, radio button, check. This brings up a dialogue that, again, this is all VBScript, but within our scripting language, and we'll get into this, we allow you to create very powerful dialogues, whether they're be, they could be very simple or they could be extremely complex with rich controls. I mean, it's not like, oh, you have a choice of ten dialogues, one with a list box and two buttons, or one with an edit box and a button. You, know, we don't, you can do whatever you want in this thing. And so Progress Indicator brought up a, a dialogue that has... These, this radio button by default that says on progress bars, I want to know every second interval, or I want to know every percentage interval, or don't tell me a, about progress bars. And if I, whatever, regardless of my interval, I can then tap. Interval, five, and five. So five is my interval. So I'm on percentage, and five is the interval. So every five percent, in other words, this indicate the progress bar will be told to me. I tab again. Progress bars, ascending sounds, radio button, checked. Three or four. So I'm on radio button four. There's four radio buttons now. Do I want to also play a default sound every 5%? Do I want to play a custom sound? I can give it a wave file and it'll play every 5%. Or do I want ascending tones? So I'd hear ding, 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 ding as it goes through. Or no sound as a radio button. And if I picked custom sound, then an edit box would become enabled that allows me to type in the name or there's a browse button that allows me to select the wave file that I want. But those are disabled now because I have ascending sound selected. Tab again. Progress bars. Speed percentage. Checkbox. Check. So along with the tones, I have ascending tones selected. I can also say percentage. So I'm going to hear 5%, 10%, 15%, whatever as it goes up through that. Tab again. Marquee bars. Seconds interval. Radio button. Check. One of two. So marquee bars are separate from progress bars. Progress bars actually have a visual indication of the percentage that it's doing anywhere from zero to 100%. Where marquee bars, they don't try to, because most times you look at progress bars and they're useless. They'll say like 1%, 1%, 100%. <laughs> I always love those. So and so a lot of times what they do, instead of trying to figure out the percentage and make it a smooth interval, or interval, they create mar uh, marquee bars, which is just, a, looks like a progress bar, but it just has this little eye going across the, uh, the progress bar. It doesn't try to give you a percentage. It just lets you know that it's doing something. And so we... What's that? Bounces back and forth. It I was actually, it doesn't. Bouncing. No, silent eye, because we were just talking about that with Ron. It just goes... Oh, you're right. right. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we distinguish that. And so now with our user interface, we allow you to distinguish. Do you want to know about marquee bars separate from progress bars? And do you want to know how, how many seconds do you want to be told that this marquee bar is there? And so I've said second interval, and the other option is do not indicate. And if I tab off... Seconds. Five. So every five seconds, if there's a marquee bar, it's going to tell you 
that it's there. And what it says. Martin bars, no sound, radio button, checked. So there's another radio button that says play a default sound for every five seconds for marquee bar, play a custom sound every five seconds, or no sound, which is selected. Then there's a checkbox that says speak text. Marquee bars, speak text, checkbox, check. So this checkbox is checked, indicating that it should speak something every five seconds, and that text is, tab again. Text to speak, progressing, edit box. I can type in the text. I could say this progress bar is doing something, and it would say that every five seconds, or I can just type in what I want. And then there's another list box in here that would show me windows that I've blocked. Maybe there's a window that has a progress bar that's always up there, and I don't want to know it. I don't want to keep hearing that that progress bar is there, so I could block it, and this gives me user interface. The point is, this is a pretty complex dialogue. This was all created with VBScript, and a, and a blind user can set up a pretty good-looking dialogue without having to have sighted assistants look at this. But just to kind of give a quick example of this, I also created a little script that just pops up a dialogue that has progress bars, just so you can hear what this does. So my key, just because I was being crazy, I did Control Shift Windows Left Bracket. No bars and button. So there's a progress bar. Progress tester. Default. But I have buttons that says, let's make two bars. So I'm going to do a key for two bars. Progress to 40%. Progress 177%. Progress 182%. Progress to 45 percent. I can progress also add a key bar in too. Progress to 85 percent. So now we got a progress three progressing. Progress 142 percent. Progress 137 percent. Turn off my bars and just have a marquee bar. So every five seconds now I'm going to hear. Progress this. three progressing. Progress because there were three progress bars. That's the third one. Progress three progressing. So this was just a script that allows me to just hit some buttons that say show one progress bar, show two, show marquee bar, don't show marquee bar, whatever, and that shows off how that works. Um, I spent that much time on Progress Indicator because I wrote that script, so that's why I spent the most time on that one. Um, but there, we also have a virtual view dial, uh, script that's installed by default. This displays a dialog containing all the text inside the active or focused window, along with several navigation options, such as clicking on the uh, selected items. So I could have a dialog up on the screen. I could then bring up the, activate the virtual view, and it will take the contents of that dialog or the focused window or whatever I want it and put it in my own little edit box that I can then deal with. So it's kind of like a clipboard type functionality, only it's on steroids because if you find something in that edit box, let's say all that text of the dialog goes in your edit box, you can move around it like any edit box. But when you're on something, let's say you want to put the mouse there because you have to click or something, you can hit a button and it'll take the mouse to that position that was up on the dialog, and then you can do a click if you choose to do that. So it's kind of some cool functionality to a dialog that maybe doesn't give you full keyboard accessibility. You could use virtual view. Autocomplete we talked about. LVNav is another script that we install, which allows you to virtually move around a list, uh, list view. So I'm in my Manage Sets and Scripts list view here. I can just hold down the Insert key with the four dedicated arrow keys and move around it like a spreadsheet. So if I do Insert Up Arrow, I'm going to go right up my column one. LVNav. Up again. Mead. MJS Interpreter. MJS Interpreter. Up again. GW Toolkit. Now if I do insert right, I'm going to go to version. Version 7.6.1. Or right again. Steps running. So I can just go left and right, just virtually like an Excel spreadsheet through my list view. It doesn't matter what I'm seeing on the screen, it has full access to the entire list view and I can navigate around. When I find an item, I can do insert enter and it, boom, it will select that item. Or I could do control, uh, I think it's control enter or control insert enter, will add that item to my selection. So I can have a multi-selection list view. Um, or I can just do alt number, I can say alt nine. No column nine. No column nine, I can say alt four. Script.vbs. And it will read that column. So I can just, this little list, this little script just gives you kind of some cool additional functionality to a list view that you might want to do. 
And it, it runs automatically when Windows is running? Correct. That's so a global script that's automatically installed. Cool. Yes, so you get that one. You can obviously uninstall it. You can stop it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can modify it. Uh, the final script that we include is WeUpdate, which all it does is on, it's a global script that on Windows launch, it comes up, runs, goes to our server, looks to see if there's a newer version of Windows. If there is, it tells you about it. If not, it goes to sleep. So those are the six global scripts that we install with Windows, and those are the only ones we, that we install without question. Then the other ones, you can go to Script Central, and you can pick and choose the individual items that you want. So that, very quickly, in about 40, 45 minutes, was the user standpoint of that. Now we're going to spend the next three hours just talking about how you actually create these scripts and things like that. Um, this was still me, right? Yeah. Mm. So, I have, I have more user questions. Sure. What's the user experience when they go to Script Central to install the script? Do they get a package uh, that only Windows understands, or do they get an EXE? Looks like a yeah. I should have I should have mentioned that. Yes, sir. Um, and we'll get to this because we'll show you how to create this. Sure. But when you get a script, it's a single file, regardless of how complex that script is. Like my the progress indicator, for instance, isn't that complex. It's got one one VBS file, but it's got lots of WAV files that come with it, um, and some other supporting files that go with that. That's all packaged together in one file. So the user gets one file when they go to Script Central to get it, or if they were to you know, get a script from somebody else. And that's got a .wepm extension, Windowize uh, Package Manager. So it's got all of those files in one WPM, which under the hood is a cap file, but we renamed it to WPM. We made that association to Windowize. So if you, Windows Explorer, and you hit enter on that, boom, it goes right into, the, if Windowize isn't running, it launches Windowize and goes right into the install. If Windowize is already running, it just goes right into the install, and you can hit enter and it installs. Or if you're downloading it from Script Central, you pick open, boom, it just goes right into the install. Again, if Windowize isn't running, it will launch it, and goes right into the install. So it works very nicely in that respect. But it is one single file, and that's the beauty of it as well, that you can deal with it. And we're gonna show you all the options that the, the script author can do when they're creating this package. First of all, how to create it, and the options that you as a script author can provide when you put that package together and deal with it. So we give you the interface to create that package. And that option was hidden because I'm in basic menus. If I'm in advanced menus, I would have seen an option in there that allows me to create that package. Um, so I'm just gonna go over quickly some of the creating scripts. Again, some of the basics um, I mentioned before, the, the scripting language, or rather the, the object model of Windowize is based on COM automation. Anything that supports COM automation can be used as your scripting tool or your programming tool. So that includes VBScript, JScript, C Sharp, C++, all these things, VB, all those things that are out there. Pretty much anything supports COM automation. That's the beauty of it. You get to pick whatever you're comfortable with. All of our samples, everything we do is written in VBScript, um, except one, which is JScript, because it allows you to actually type in JScript code and we immediately run it. But um, everything else is all VBScript. We supply the code for all of it. We're going to show you that you don't have to supply the code for yours. If you're charging for this, you don't have to supply the code. And it will still run. Even if it's VBScript, which is a text file, we give you a way to deal with that. Um, but the, the COM automation is industry standard. I mean, you look at any of the Office products, they're all based on COM automation. The object model to Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all COM automation. Many applications that you buy, Skype has it. Um, some of the, all of them. Can't think of any names on it. But most of them, if they have an interface into their application, object model, it's done through COM automation. Um, 
And again, by default, VBScript and JScript are installed on every operating system that Windows supports. So you automatically have VBScript and JScript on your system. So that makes it kind of a beautiful environment for us because it's already there. And um, but you can install it. Well, let's see. Yeah, I won't get into a lot of this. There, there are some crazy guys that want Perl script. You can install Perl script on your system. The problem with some of those other ones, like Perl script, is you have to actually install the Perl script environment to run the Perl script. So you're not going to create a Perl script and then provide it up on Script Central. I mean, you can, but for people to run it, they would have to go off, get the Perl script environment, and you know, run it that way. But if you did C++ or VB or all those, those are all compiled languages. Those will just run. And any VB script or J script, those will just run as well. Um, Windowize embeds the ActiveScript engine, so if you were to run a VB, uh, VBS or a VB script script from the command prompt, it actually invokes the Windows scripting host. Windows scripting host is actually responsible for submitting your script to the actual VB script interpreter and running. Well, we didn't want to have Windowize have to talk to Windows, uh, the um, Windows scripting host, and which is just another layer that we have to deal with. So Windowize actually replaces Windows scripting host. It embeds the scripts itself. So again, it makes it much faster, there's a tighter integration, less hoops to jump through, all of that business. So Windowize actually is the hosting engine for any embedded script. VBScript and JScript are embedded scripts. And again, if you want a ProScript, you can install the, um, the uh, ProScript version of the embedded script version of ProScript or Python or whatever you want it to be able to do. Um, I'm not going to go into great depth because we don't have a lot of time on that, but it, it does give Windowize better access to the script when it's embedded. Um, error reporting, things like that, Windowize can actually provide to the script, so the script can be responsible for dealing with its own errors. Um, you know, C++ application can do the same thing, but it's up to the C++ developer to do that. Or we make it very simple to you if it's an embedded script. Um, Non-active scripts or non-embedded scripts are also supported by Windowize. As I said, C++ is a compiled language. You would compile it, create an exe, you would associate it just as you would a VBS or a JS file or anything like that, you would associate it the same way. Windowize will launch that executable or whatever the extension may be for that when uh, when it needs to actually start that particular script. So whether it's full VB or C++, whatever, we'll just go ahead and do that. Um, basics of the uh, common automation is, is really geared around object-oriented type programming languages, and VBScript is, and a lot most of the languages that Microsoft is putting out nowadays is based around com uh, um, object-oriented. And the beauty of that is that it's much easier to organize an application, it's much easier to maintain an application that's developed around object-oriented object -oriented designing. Versus, uh, again, I'm not to pick on JAWS, but JAWS is kind of a top-down type of thing. It doesn't, it's not really designed around objects, it's just a bunch of functions that are thrown at you and you can deal with those functions, you know, just use them. It's not to say it's not powerful, it's just hard to to design and hard to maintain applications that are designed that way, which is why object-oriented programming is so popular nowadays because of that. I mean, Windowize is written in C++, as is JAWS. And those are, are object-oriented languages. Um, so it's, again, it's very, very popular. So, But when you're dealing with object-oriented programming, you have some, some terminology that I think we ought to get out of the way real quick because we're going to be using some of these words throughout the rest of this session, um, like a class or an object or a component, properties, methods, events, those types of things we're going to be talking about during this. So I'm just going to kind of go through those to help you understand what those things mean. A lot of times people use a class or an object interchangeably, and they really are different. So first of all, what is a class? Or When we talk about what is a class, what does that mean? And a class is really a template for an object, and I'll talk about what an object is in a second. 
But a class is something that you work with at design time. So if you want to be able to use an object at runtime, you have to first define a class at design time. So it's a persistent template for an object. So you write this class one time, and then you can instantiate it as many times as you want, and that then turns into an object. So an object uh, are created at runtime based on templates provided by classes. So you design a class, and then when you instantiate that class, it becomes an object. So it's a temporary construct that lives in memory while your application or script is using it. Um, what is a component? A component is like a packaging mechanism. When you write some classes and you want people to be able to use them as objects at runtime, you package them in a component. A way of compiling one or more related classes into a binary file that can be distributed to one or more computers. So GW Toolkit is a perfect example of a component. We provide several classes that you can then instantiate and make your own objects, and you can then deal with it. But we provide it to you as a component. It's just several different, basically, templates or classes that you can then deal with and use. So a component is just a packaging mechanism. Then properties. <clears throat> within an object, you actually can deal with three things within an object. You have a property of that object, you have a method of that object, and you can have events on that object. So a property, an object's properties are characteristics that describe the object. So if I'm talking about, I'm, I'm going to pretend my, I have a dog, which is going to be my object. So let's pretend my object is a dog. So properties of that dog would be its name, or its color, or its weight, or its age. Those types of things are properties of the dog. Now properties are, can be either read-only, they can be write-only, or they can be read-write. So obviously a dog's um, color is read-only. You can't change its color. I can't say dog.color equals red, and boom, he turns red. But if, depending on the object, I can do that. So in my case, I would just query that. Um, dog.name, that could be read-write. I could make that. I could say dog.name equals Fido, and boom, his name's changed to Fido. He doesn't know it, but I changed it. Um, so that, that's a good example maybe of a read-write type of a property. Um, and a dog's weight is typically only read-only. You can't just change a variable name and poof, his weight changes to something else. Um, so the properties are just things you can read or write from. It's like a variable of that object. Methods are actions that the object can perform. So a method is kind of a function relating to that object. In examples, again, using my dog, I can say dog uh, stay. Stay could be a method of that dog object. Or I could say roll over, and that would be another method. Um, or fetch. I could say roll over five, and he would roll over five times. I could, I can send a method parameters, and it can tell it more information about how that method should, should perform. And then events of an object are something that the object can spontaneously do. So again, using my dog analogy, bark would be an event it's something that the dog can spontaneously do out of the blue, but I want to know about it because maybe I want to correct him when he barks. So I want to, I want to hook that event, and when he barks, I want to yank his chain. Or bite. If he bites, I really want to yank that chain, um, whatever I want to deal with. So I want to know about these things that can spontaneously happen. Now, bark could also be a method. Maybe I could say, you know, bark, and the dog will bark on my command. But I also want to know about it when he didn't do it on my command. So it could be two, two ways. It could be an event and a method. So how you deal with these things, when you have an object and you have events and properties and methods, it's typical in object-oriented programming that you would use a period to distinguish between the object and the other things. So in my dog case again, I would use a period to separate the object, dog, from the property, maybe weight. So I would say dog.weight, 
So I could say A equals dog.weight, and A will now be whatever the weight is. Or I could say dog.name equals Fido, and I've now changed his name to Fido. Or I could say dog.bark, dog.rollover, all these things, and there may be in parentheses three, and it would roll over three times, or dog.fetch. So I would just keep putting these on this way. Um, or maybe I have, um, you know, maybe, maybe I have another object called pound, and within that I have objects dog and cat and whatever else the pound has. So I could say something like pound dot dog dot, or maybe pound dot dogs, and that will give me a collection of all the dogs in the pound. And then I could enumerate through that collection, and I could get to an individual dog, and I could check its weight, I could check its color, I could check its type, its breed, all of that business. I could just deal with that. So I could just keep putting dots between all these objects and methods and properties, however it may be, and just string them all along that way. So it makes it very easy to understand when you look at a line what it's actually doing based on this dot property that you deal with. Everything that we're going to be dealing with today is going to be in VBScript. And that's not, you don't have to use VBScript. It's just available, it's free, it's there, and all of our samples are going to be in VBScript, so we're going to, we're going to do that. Um, again, VBScript is a subset of Visual Basic. So if you know VB, you already know VBScript. Um, it's simple syntax using English words and grammar structure, like if-then-blah. So if you knew of a basic language back in the day, it's very, very similar to that. Um, case isn't important, typically, in VBScript. Unless it's in quotes, case is not important. So capital A equals dog.weight is the same as lowercase a equals dog.weight. A is A. So you really don't have to care. But typically what we'll do is we'll uppercase the first letter of each word. So like dog would be capital D, lower OG. Dot weight, the W would be capital, the rest would be lower. So typically that's the syntax that we use, but you're not married to that syntax. It could be whatever you want to deal with. Um, I'm not going to get into too many of those details. Okay. The editor that you get to use, Windows doesn't have an integrated development environment. And that's somewhat on purpose, somewhat not. But the beauty of that is that you get to pick your language and you get to pick your editor that you do. Now we can marriage those together a little bit through some techniques that we'll show you. But you get to pick the editor that you want. If that's Notepad, so be it. We like Notepad++. I don't know how if that's completely accessible. We haven't done a lot of testing. But up on our webpage on Script Central, there's a developer section that you can go to that actually shows you a lot of the um, editors that are out there that are available that you can choose. But certainly feel free to use whatever editor that you want to be able to use. Uh, we only suggest that it, the editor you pick support Unicode. Um, it doesn't have to, but COM Automation is Unicode. Windowize is full of Unicode. So if you create this file and you store it as an ANSI file, Windowize actually has to convert it to Unicode before it submits it off to the interpreter. No big deal, it's just an extra step Windowize has to do. So, so it's a good idea to just store it out in Unicode to begin with. Um, you can register your editor with Windowize. So you remember that edit button that I had in the script manager dialog. When I do, I'm on progress indicator right now in there. If I do alt I for edit. I progress in. Oh, I read. I didn't associate it. I forgot I installed Windows. Uh, it actually launched Notepad in my case. Normally I use Notepad, but I forgot I reinstalled Windows and I lost my association with this. But it will load whatever particular editor you had, and we'll show you how you can actually do that if you want to change that. Um, or if your script happens to throw an error, a dialog will come up saying that there's an error. Do you want to stop the script? Do you want to restart the script? Do you want to edit the script? And if you pick edit, it will launch your editor with the script in there for you. Um, okay. So that, again, another 15 minutes, just kind of quickly going over object-oriented programming, 
in the development environment that we use within WindowEyes. And now let's actually get our fingers dirty. And um, Aaron's going to take over and just kind of walk you through a Hello World script so that you can actually get a very basic script going. And then we're obviously going to get more complex as we go on. So we are just going to jump right into it. You've got your machines in front of you. So the first thing we're going to do is open our editor of choice, which happens to be Notepad. So you can do that however you want to do that. I am going to go to the Run dialog and just type Notepad and hit Enter. Get some volume So Notepad is open. We're getting ready to start our script. We're going to start very basic. Windowize has a method, uh, has a speech object that is, um, that uh, we'll discuss root objects and things like that a little bit later, but uh, basically all you have to do to make Windowize say something is type the word speak. So we're going to do that, S-P-E-A-K, and then a space, and then the word or phrase that we want want Windowize to speak in quotes. So I'm going to do a quote, hello world. And then an end quote. Let me know if you guys need help or you're lost or if you're trying to do this. So right now all we've done is we've launched Notepad. We've typed speak, space, quote, hello world, end quote. And that's our first script. We're going to save this by just going to file. Save. We're going to put it in our default directory. And the easy way to get to the uh, default directory under an operating system like XP because we use the documents and settings, application data, GW micro window, that big, huge, long folder name. The easy way to get that in the save as dialog is just to use the uh, environment variable app data. And you do that by putting the word app data, A-P-P-D-A-T-A. -A. You surround that with, uh, with percent signs. So I'm going to type a shift five. Okay, app data. The closing percent sign. I'm going to do a backslash, and I'm going to type GW space micro, another backslash, window dash eyes, another backslash, there's another way you can get that, users, Backslash default. Again, this is just, um, we're just typing out the full path to the user's default folder where all the sets and scripts are normally installed. The reason we have to do that in Notepad is because Notepad doesn't have a clue where our scripts and sets and things like that are. That are. It's just Notepad. So if, uh, it's entirely possible that if you use a, an editor uh, besides Notepad, like Notepad++, it can remember the last directory you saved a script in. So when you go to save a new script, you don't have to type all this out. But this is just a quick way to get to the user's default folder. So. And you don't have to save scripts in the user's default folder or in your, in your profile folder. You can save them in any folder, and you can load them from any folder. But it's handy because uh, you're using the, the same kind of environment that a user who installs your scripts is going to be using. So if I have all my scripts on the, on the root of my C drive in a folder called scripts, when the user actually installs those scripts from a package I create, it's not going to create a folder called scripts off the root. It's going to put them in their user's default directory. So it's kind of a good habit to get into to always work inside that directory because that's what your users are going to do. So I'm just going to type uh, the name of this script finally. I'm just going to call it hello world. .vbs, because this is a Visual Basic script file that we've created. 
I'm going to head in. Hello World edit box. No, Notepad tells me that I'm editing hello world.bbs. So that's it. I've launched Notepad. I've typed in my single line of code. I've saved that out to my VBS file in my user's default folder. And that's it to create my first script. Now what I have to do is actually load that script into Window Eyes so that I can see it perform. What we're going to do is we're going to make this script associated with Notepad rather than be a global script, just so it's easy to see it uh, actually functioning. So to associate a script with a particular application, you first make sure that the application is active, like Notepad is at this point, and then you go into the Window Eyes control panel with control backslash. That takes you to the control panel. You can then go to the file menu with Alt-F. Type an, an M for manage sets and scripts. You can type another M to jump into the script manager. And now what we want to do is we want to tab over to the display scripts group of radio buttons. So focus comes up in the list view automatically, so we'll just tab once. I had global selected as uh, the last way that I organized my scripts. What I'm going to do is arrow over to the right to the application radio button. And it said application notepad because that was the last, the last active application. And that's good because that's where I want to associate my script. So since I'm a script developer, I have the show more options checkbox checked so I can easily load and unload scripts. Mine just says all by application. What am I missing? Um, you want to arrow to the right twice. So go ahead and tap once to make sure that show more options is checked. And what that's going to do is that's going to enable our load button. So now we're going to do an Alt-A to activate that load button which is going to prompt us for a script name to associate with the last active application, which was Notepad. So we'll do an all-day for load. Now, fortunately, this is Window Eyes, so Window Eyes knows where the user default profile is, so it doesn't have to type in that big, long path. We're actually right in it right away. So I can just type hello world.bbs, or I can shift-tab up to the file list and select it. I'm just going to type it out here. I'm going to hit enter. Now listen to what Window Eye says when you hit enter. So I was now saying a bunch of things about the script in the script manager, but you heard the very first thing it says was, said was, Hello World. That's because our script launched and it counted the first line of our script, which was speak Hello World. It spoke Hello World, and that was it. So now, to hear it again, what we can do, now that we have our script associated with Notepad, we can escape out of the script manager. We can escape out of Window Eyes. Now we're back in, the, in Notepad where we're editing our script. We're just going to close Notepad with Alt F4. Notepad is closed. So now, we have a script associated with Notepad, but Notepad's not running, which means our script isn't running. So what we're going to do is we're going to launch Notepad the same way we did before. Just go to the Run dialog. Notepad was the last thing we typed, so I'm just going to hit Enter. We'll listen to what Window Eyes says when I hit Enter. Desktop. My documents unselected. List me one of 14. Hello World untitled Notepad edit box. And we heard Hello World, and then we heard information about the uh, Notepad title. 
Say that again, Jeremy. Made it global. Would that speak every single time you open an app? It wouldn't speak every single. If you made the script global, it wouldn't speak for every window that opens because a global script is um, is just going to run when Windowize is launched. So Windowize is going to launch this script that says "Speak Hello World." Windowize will launch. You'll hear "Hello World," and then you'll never hear it again until Windowize relaunches because it's a global script. It only launches when Windowize launches. You could create a script that uh, hooked on activation and every new window it saw, it could speak Hello World. You could do that, and that could be a global script. Why you would, I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's the, you, congratulations, you just created your first script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We created a script with a simple one-liner associated mm -hmm. to an application. Now when you launch that application, application, you'll hear what you wanted to do, what you told your script to do. So let's see what else we're going to do. One thing we can do is we can go back into the uh, script manager where we associated the script with Notepad. We'll go back into Window Eyes, Control Backslash, go back into the File menu, M for Manage Sets and Scripts, M for Script Manager. That is a succession of keys I've become very, <coughs> excuse me, become very familiar with doing an Alt F, hitting an M, and hitting an M again will get you into the script manager. So it's a quick way to run in there. So we're in the script manager, it remembers the last uh, display that we had selected, which was application. So um, we had Notepad active when we went in here. <clears throat> so it still shows application Notepad. And we see in the actual list view of scripts, we have a name, which is hello world.bbs, the version, which is blank, the status, which is running, the script, which is hello world.bbs, and the description, which is blank. And all of these things are blank because we didn't bother to fill them in. <coughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to our Hello World script and we're going to add a few more lines to show you how to fill in this information to make your script a little bit more user friendly. So let's go ahead and escape out of the script manager, escape out of Windowize. We'll get back into a Notepad. Since we just launched Notepad by itself before, we don't have our script loaded, so we'll need to open it. So we'll just do a control O. Would this be a good spot for that, uh, that edit button? <laughs> this would be an excellent spot for that edit button. And in fact, we can do that. <laughs> All right, right. Well, well, so in the script manager, it's that the So yes, now that I am back in my script manager, application notepad is selected because that was the last active application window. So now I can choose the edit button, which is Alt I. And that launches Notepad with my Hello World BBS script. Very easy to get back to your script. And of course, the script ran because you launched Notepad. Right. <laughs> so what we're going to do now is we're going to add some information to this script that's going to make the script manager look a bit more user friendly. And we're going to do that by using the client information object. The client information object uh, is a Windowize object that lets you specify information about your script. Windowize can then use that to populate the script uh, manager dialog. And you can use it for other things too. It's a good way. To, uh, it's basically a good way to store information about your script for anyone who might need it. So we're just going to um, hit enter to put a blank line at the top of our script. I'm arrow back up here. So on a blank line at the top of your script, we're going to type client information, all one word. Now this is an object, and we're going to be setting a property of this object. And like Doug talked about, we use the dot operator to do that. So we're going to do client information dot. And then the uh, property that we're interested in modifying first is script version. 
So we're going to type script version, all one word. So now what we've done is we've taken the client formation object, we have our dot, and we have our script version property. And then we're going to set uh, this property equal to something, and that's going to be the version number of our script. The version number is just a string, so we're going to say equals, then we're going to use a quote, and the version I want is 1.0, and then a close quote. So I'm setting the script version property of the client information object to a string that's one period zero. I'm going to do the same thing for another property of the client information object called script description. So I'm just going to hit enter to put a new blank line in. I'm going to reference the object again called client information. And the property I want is script description, so I'm going to use the dot operator again. <clears throat> and then type script description, all one word. And just like script version, this is going to be a, another string. So I'm going to use my equal sign, open quote, and then I'm going to type, uh, this is a test description. And I'm going to close the string with a close quote. And then while we're at it, let's go ahead and um, remember that help and options button we saw? We're going to make sure that that becomes enabled, <coughs> excuse me, so that the user can get some information about our script. So we're going to hit enter to put a new blank line in and reference client information one more time. Use another dot because we're accessing a property of that object. And this property is called script help. So we'll type that script help, no space. And just like the other two properties, this is also a string, so we're going to say equals, open our uh, string with an open quote, and we're going to type this is some help. And then we'll close it with a closing quote. And then what we're going to do is save our script with control S. We're going to close notepad. We're going to open notepad back up. We heard hello world because our script is running. So now we're going to go into the script manager. We're going to window device with control backslash. Get into the file menu. MM. And now. Now we hear a lot more information about the script. We hear the name, which is hello world.bbs. We now hear our version number, which is 1.0, the same string that we put in our script. The status is running. The description is now, this is a test description, which is also the string that we set that property to, the script description property to. And we'll notice that the help and options button is now enabled. So if we do an alt H to access the help and options, you get a, dial, a message box that pops up. This is a test description as the title because it takes the description that we used in the script description property as the title of the message box. And then it takes the text that we added to the script help property as the actual text of that message box. So this is a quick way to provide some text to the users to tell them whatever they might need to know about, uh, about the help and the options of your script. So that is a, <clears throat> a way that we've now created our first script. We've added some simple functionality and we've uh, prettied it up a bit so that, um, that it's a bit more user-friendly when the user sees the script listed in the script manager. They now know what version it is, they now know what its purpose is, and they can get help and options about it. 
So these are uh, that's a common thing to do in your scripts, so that uh, so that there's just a consistent interface between all the scripts, so that people don't get lost when they're trying to use them. Where's that help uh, by the regs of that display? Help and options is um, it's Alt H when you're in the script manager. Yeah, right? I got the uh, show more options checked in there. There. Oh, it should be there regardless if yeah. I check it. Open options is there regardless. That's yeah. yeah, disabled, so maybe we had to check it. I mistyped it, yeah, or maybe I need to reload it. Wait, yeah, if you didn't reload it, but yeah, you don't have the description order version, so go ahead and pick the reload. There you go. That's <laughs> <laughs> something to remember when you make a change, you got to remember that. Because yours was already running because you got notepad is the application that has the script, and so right. it's kind of confusing when you have it open. All right, so we've got our script. We've got some simple information about the script uh, to display the, to the uh, script user. Now we, um, we've decided that just having uh, Notepad say hello world when it launches isn't all that useful. What we really want to do is have it say hello world when I press a hotkey. So what we're going to do is we hit escape to get out of Window Eyes, out of the script manager. Uh, actually, I'm using it, but I forget that. Back into the script manager. Hello world, VBS is selected. I'll hit Alt I for edit. Now I'm back in my script. <coughs> so, in order to set up a hotkey to do something in a windowized script, the first thing we need to do. Um, Windowise has a keyboard object that's much like the client information object. You just reference the keyboard object. It has several properties, methods, things like that. Um, all, all of these objects, by the way, are documented in the uh, Windowise scripting manual. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, what we need to know is that keyboard has <coughs> a method called registered hotkey. Registered hotkey takes register hotkey. Sorry, uh, register hotkey takes um, several parameters, but the two we're interested in are. It, uh, the hotkey itself that we want to set up, and then what functionality we want that hotkey to perform. And the way that uh, register hotkey works is it actually takes the name of a sub or uh, a function or some sort of routine that we want to uh, have happen when that hotkey is pressed. So back in our script, we have the line speak hello world. That's the action that our script actually performs. What we want to do is put that in a routine that we can then call through the register hockey method. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to arrow down to that speak hello world. Speak hello world. I'm just going to hit enter to put a blank line above it. I'm going to arrow up to that blank line. And I'm going to create a subroutine. In VBScript, you create a subroutine by using the word sub. That's a keyword, S-U-B. So I'm going to type S-U-B. S-U-B. I'm going to do a space. A space. And I'm going to type the name of my sub. In this case, I'm just going to call it my sub. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.